Welcome to the C-Suite podcast that we are recording at Money 2020 USA in Las Vegas. I'm Russell Goldsmith, and together with Graham Barrett, we'll be chatting to a number of the speakers and attendees from the conference. We're producing the show in partnership with Instant, a leader in fraud insurance technology and a five-star sponsor of Money 2020. We hope that through these short conversations with CEOs and senior executives from banks, credit unions and fintechs, we'll provide you with a real flavour and understanding of the topics and issues being discussed here at the event. Okay, I'm here with Jason Hagen. He's the Senior VP Head of Fintech Innovation at Sunrise Banks. Jason, lovely to see you. Lovely to see you too. Well, tell me a little bit more about Sunrise Banks, because on your website you talk about yourself being a, a social engine for good. What does that actually mean in practice? Yeah, uh, Sunrise Banks uh, began its uh, tenure as a bank back in the late 1800s, and it originally served immigrant communities. And if you look at our wall of history, it starts with Polish immigrants, German immigrants, Irish immigrants. And in, in today today's day and age, we serve Somali diaspora, Hmong, uh, African-American communities as well. That's primarily uh, for the main bank, the, the retail side of the bank. Um, and of course, I shouldn't I should not discount the small to medium-sized businesses within those communities as well. Those are really a focus for ours. So about uh, 2007, uh, the bank owner uh, grew a little frustrated with his ability to serve uh, those communities or serve more of those uh, communities and those people. And so he expanded the, the practice at the bank uh, to include fintechs. And the communities that we serve use alternative financial services. And the easiest reference point is a is a payroll loan and the egregious amounts of interest that uh, and fees, which is interest as well, that they have to pay to access short-term small-dollar lending. We want to try and put that business model out of business. We want we are, so we partner with fintechs and alternative financial services that uh, cater to the low to moderate income uh, households to build, co-create these uh, platforms, fintech platforms. So that's where that's where we are now. The bank is uh, about two and a half billion. Uh, about half the bank is, is fintech and fintech focus, and the other uh, is uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul. Well, tell me a bit more about that. How do you interact with these fintech companies? Give me maybe an example. Yeah, usually direct partnership. So they would have found a, most likely have found a processor partner to work with uh, in the we are also integrated with and we usually the fintechs that we work with have a brilliant idea uh, and they need some help going to market and we help co-create or co-build some of the policies procedures processes we also have some unique insights into the marketplaces that they want to uh, want to serve so we're usually a, a, an amazing first step for them to access or get their product launch but we also help uh, with their third and fourth uh, product or service as well. That's where I think lately, especially with some of the troubles we've seen, uh, challenges raising capital that our fintech partners um, are realizing is that they have to have a broader set of solutions other than a single point solution, other than that first really good idea that they have. Tell me, um, let's dig down a little bit maybe into Sunrise Banks and uh, maybe you could enlighten me about how you do certain processes. I'm thinking of customer onboarding as one. How do you approach that? I'm a bit ashamed to say we're not great at it. And there's many banks that aren't great at it. 
the challenge uh, with, that many banks have is the disparate systems that we have uh, in pulling all of those systems together into a comprehensive experience, a branded experience, uh, a customer-pleasing experience as well. Uh, that's tough. And pulling the different data streams across the bank, but then marrying that up to what the consumer or our client uh, is providing us that's the challenging piece. So I'd say in our, we're, we're currently evaluating how we onboard business customers, small business customers, expect to take those learnings into the retail side, the traditional co consumer side. I'd say on the FinTech side, uh, they do a much better job of it, but not, not the best. It's still, there are still gains to be made in onboarding, and specifically I'd say around identity management, fraud prevention, uh, capture of um, the relevant data and then the monitoring piece. You just mentioned fraud there, so maybe we can finish off with that piece as well. What measures do you have in place to counteract these, let's face it, ever more sophisticated fraudsters? It, it's becoming increasingly tough. Um, we're particularly concerned about uh, AI and the impact that AI is going to have on the ability to create uh, pseudo-identities that can be exploited to open accounts and, and so on and so forth. So um, what we really have retrenched in is good old-fashioned monitoring and data analytics and looking at breakouts that happen, looking at concentrated activity. Uh, we uh, are actively looking to improve our fraud prevention and be a little more proactive in, in monitoring with our uh, fintech clients and, and offering maybe a more holistic solution to them. But uh, at this point in time, the technologies that we've seen are, are not quite mature enough, um, aren't staying ahead of the fraudsters yet. So we're in a little bit of a wait and see. We would love to run into uh, a company that, that can um, address our specific concerns around the fraud and fraud prevention, um, but the fraudsters are kind of winning right now. We yeah. need to retrench a little bit as an industry and, and decide what we're going to do next. Yeah, well, I guess that's why it's great to come to conferences like this, see who the players are in the industry, and maybe you know you can you can team up with them. So, well, that's fascinating. Thank you so much for taking me through all of that, yeah. Jason Hagen. Have a great rest of the show. Thank you. I appreciate the time. Okay, joining me now is Dennis McCarthy. He's the Chief Client Officer at Bread Financial. Dennis, lovely to see you. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah, Thanks how's your money 2020? So far, so good. Just yeah. got off the stage. Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah, how was that panel session? It was around building loyalty in sports and entertainment, wasn't it? It was. I, I had the luxury of having a few of our partners join us on stage, and it was awesome. So we talked about, you know, what, what does loyalty mean these days? You know, really staying relevant. How do we stay relevant? How do we make sure from a customer perspective they're ready? You know, keeping it fresh and making it available. Where does a customer want to consume the product? And, you know, we also talked about, you know, it was an interesting partnership because each of us have our own individual partnerships with each other. So really those overlaps and where can we take advantage of multiple relationships you know, across the partnership that really make it really special for the customer. Well, tell us about some of these partnerships because I find it fascinating, I love my sports. So you've got the Cleveland Cavaliers, the Yankees, and the NFL as an organization, right? We do. Uh, it's, it's, it's a relatively new, you know, area for us. So we started with the NFL and for them we issue a co-brand credit card. So all 32 teams. What we found with sports is, 
you know, it really drives a fandom that is stronger than, than no other. And uh, I myself went to London last week, um, so fresh, you know, back, freshly back in the U.S., um, and got to go see a game there. And just to see the fandom and how penetrating it is throughout the entire culture, to go to a game and see thousands, you know, 68,000 people all wearing NFL jerseys, not even of the team that's playing, it really says a lot about what that fandom does. So we started with the NFL. We've also expanded to, we have a program with the Cleveland Cavaliers, which is a little different. So we do buy now, pay later. So if you're buying something, you can split that over four payments. Um, and the Cavs are, are, are talking about doing some really cool stuff where using buy now, pay later and having something delivered right to you in your seat while you're still at the game. And then uh, we also have a program with the New York Yankees. So, you know, from a sports branding, you know, it really doesn't get any better than that. I was in, as I mentioned, I was in London again. The New York Yankees hats everywhere. Yeah, yeah. And for that, you know, we do a, a combination. It's a, it's a sponsorship as well as, you know, a co-brand credit card for the Yankees as well. So we're really trying to tap into that fandom yeah, yeah. and that loyalty wherever we can. Yeah, like, it's that brand loyalty like no it, other, It's incredible. It? Yeah. It's incredible. Just you, you underestimate it and then you get out in the audience and you're like, wow, people are really bought in and they really, really, they're really loyal. And what's interesting about what you just said uh, there as well is that it seems to be a bespoke solution depending on who you're speaking to. It doesn't have to be the same approach for everyone. That's exactly right. And we've really found even across leagues, it's different, right? So, um, you know, the NFL has control over all of the teams and, and how that is represented. Um, but we work with, with each of the individual teams and the product there is pretty is, is more defined. But within the teams, you can set up individual experiences. So, you know, if you are a, I'm going to pick the wrong team. If you're an Eagles fan yeah. uh, and you want to go on the field, you know, at Lincoln Financial Field, you can do that through the credit card program because they have the way to redeem for that. So, you know, you, it, the program manifests itself in different ways. And it, it is something that we really have the opportunity to do across and, and we can build things individually depending on what the partner wants. Now obviously we're here in Las Vegas, so tell us about how you are building brand loyalty at Caesars. Yeah, so, we, so we're a great part, long-term partnership with Caesars, and we just refreshed the product as I was talking you know, about loyalty, and it's important to keep the product fresh. So we just refreshed it, we did a little bit of customer research, and really the customers kind of dictated what the product should be, and, and what they said was they want you know, in, in general, almost all credit cards earn rewards. What the Caesars customers wanted was they wanted to earn tiers. They wanted, they wanted to get tiers. They wanted to get access to higher level access to Caesars. So it, um, it really it was a relatively simple change, but really well received. And uh, that tiering, while simple, um, has made a big difference and already starting to see that manifest itself in the, in the consumers. Yeah. That's really interesting. Now, something that's a hot topic here at the moment is AI, as it is in every conference, and also the fraud that goes along with it, unfortunately. So, what steps are you taking at Bread to kind of combat this sophisticated fraud? Yeah, it, it's everywhere. I mean, it is it, it is amazing. Uh, you know, the, the progress that the fraudsters and, and the bad actors have made over a very short period of time, and it, it's nimble. You know, they are so fast and they shift. So. You know, ours really varies depending on channels. Most of our fraud is focused on, on when we acquire a new account. So back to Caesars, for example, we issue new accounts. You can actually go into Caesars, apply for a card, and get your card while you're still at Caesars. 
So that requires a level of, of protection, you know, that's different than most, but uh, we have the, the right protection set up and it really comes back to how do you know it's that customer? What's their true identity? How do you verify that identity and make sure because you're literally about to hand a card over to them yeah, yeah. and they can start transacting right away. Yeah, so you that's have like to the really end stop, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, and, then, and sometimes the scarier part is online because you, you don't know when they're going to use it. You don't know when they've taken over account. Sometimes they take over an account and they just wait. And then a month or two later, they start using the account and you get a little surprised by it. So it does really come back to how do you know that the customer is the customer? And you know that level of verification and being able to do that, the trick is how do you do that so that it's seamless to the customer so they don't feel like you know, there, this is onerous process that we've built just to make sure, well, of course I am who I am. Really try and build it and make it seamless so that it, it, it really, the customer doesn't even know they're going through the fraud check because it was that easy. Well, it's a huge challenge. So well, what else have you got planned for Money 2020? Are you here for a few more days? I, I, I'm here till tomorrow. I'm yeah. going to get out and, and see the show a little bit. I have yeah. not had a chance to do that since I've spent most of my time prepping for, for the stage. So I'll get to get out and, and see all of the great companies that are here. So looking forward to it. Yeah. Well, you have great time. Dennis McCarthy, thanks very much for joining me today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Okay, I'm now joined by uh, Bernadette uh, Kasetka, the uh, VP FedNow Deputy Head of Product Development at uh, Federal Reserve Bank of Boston. Um, Bernadette, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Now, um, you've just finished speaking on a session. You were joined by Revolut and Orem, um, and the session was entitled The Real-Time Payments uh, Gold Rush, Who Will Profit and How? Did you come to a consensus about the evolution of real-time payments? Yeah, so uh, this was a great panel. Um, we had a great discussion and um, first uh, I started with a, a status update with where we are with FedNow. Uh, so let me share that with, yeah, with no, you. Yeah, please. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, so we launched the service on July 20th. Um, we started with 35 uh, organizations, including the U.S. Treasury. Uh, it's been uh, three months since we've launched and uh, I reported yesterday that we were at 140 and today we're at 144. Uh, so we have more than quadrupled the number of financial institutions and we're literally adding financial institutions on a, on a daily basis so that's really exciting. So on the panel um, we talked about uh, the power of overlays and um, the how do you make making payments easy. So they have done this well with uh, Brazil's PIX and India's UPI um, using QR codes. Uh, they also support alias-based payments where you can pay to say an email address or a phone number and these are all things that we're looking at uh, for FedNow. The, the one thing that we all coalesced on is uh, that the future of instant payments includes cross-border payments and that uh, there's a big importance on making a good customer experience and making payments frictionless. What do you see as the, the most beneficial use cases for um, real-time payments? So I think that uh, FedNow can really transform how individuals and how consumers transact on a daily basis. For individuals, um, the use case that's getting a lot of traction is around earned wage access. So employers um, giving employees the option of getting their payroll more often than the every uh, two-week cycle, which is pretty normal here in, in the U.S. And for those that are cash-strapped, um, being able to better manage your inflows and your outflows and being able to avoid overdraft fees and late fees, that, that could be really game-changing. Um, another use case that I think could be really meaningful is around um, insurance claims. So if you have the misfortune of being in an auto accident or uh, being uh, hit by a hurricane, getting those funds uh, quickly um, is critical. 
right? And um, for businesses, uh, it's all about improving their cash management, improving their liquidity. Uh, this could be for small businesses, that could be for large businesses. On the accounts receivable side, it's about shortening uh, the span of a, a payment. Um, and uh, on the accounts payable side, it's, uh, it's about um, getting additional discounts if you, if you pay early. So um, I think there's just tons of benefits. And um, the other thing I'll mention is that every other conversation that I've had here at Money 2020 um, includes requests for payment. There's, uh, I think, uh, tons of opportunity around innovation um, and fintechs building out the experience around requests for payment. I think it could change how we do point of sale right now. I think uh, it, it can also introduce uh, new use cases around recurring instant payments. And probably the most exciting part is that there's use cases that we're going to see that we're not thinking about, that we're not even talking about today. Yeah. Well, you just touched on innovation there. I mean, how do you see FedNow contributing to innovation and economic growth in the US? Yeah, so uh, FedNow, it's a platform for innovation and what is going to grow adoption of instant payments in the US is the uh, customer experiences and the innovation that we built on top of the, the rail. And I see uh, two flavors of this. So one is looking at pain points that exist today in the payments industry and solving for that with instant payments. And I, uh, right now we're seeing a lot of uh, great uses, use cases come out of the real estate industry. And then I think it's also about looking at all of the uh, platforms and apps that we have today and how do you modernize them and include instant payments now as a new rail. Uh, we are definitely not leaving uh, innovation up to chance, uh, right? Um, we have been working really closely with uh, fintechs and merchants and corporates um, and helping them understand the value of instant payments um, and uh, spurring innovation. Um, we have also uh, established a ecosystem accelerator group, um, which is a catalyst for innovation. Uh, for those that are listening uh, on the podcast, uh, if you're uh, interested in learning about how you can showcase uh, your instant payment solutions, check out FedNowExplorer.org. Um, now, one of the um, kind of key themes that we've been focusing, in, you know, on, on a number of our interviews that, uh, that, that we've recorded here, is is about customer onboarding. I was just keen to understand what the process was in terms of customer onboarding for the the Federal Reserve Bank of Boston. Yeah, so in addition to uh, building out FedNow, we also launched a new onboarding platform. Um, so the objective here was to make, uh, make it as easy as possible for financial institutions and for service providers to come onto FedNow. So we have built out a world-class uh, digitized uh, customer experience from beginning end, so from connectivity to testing to, to going live. Uh, we've been getting uh, lots of great reviews from our customers, um, especially the service providers, because they are able to now use this uh, platform to uh, sign up up to 50 of their participants at a time. Now that leads on to the next question that I wanted to ask you, the, the, the final question, in, in terms of the threat from fraudsters. I, I don't know, you know, what you've seen in terms of, you know, has that been changing over the last year or so? And, and also what steps have you introduced to, to combat those threats? Um, so fraud is not unique to instant payments. Um, so I'll, I'll start with that. Um, you know, and I think um, we hear um, many in the industry say that faster payments equals faster fraud. I'm going to go on record and say I don't like the slogan. Um, I'm going to create my own. Um, and uh, it's fraud is an everyone problem. And uh, you know, I truly believe that, and I think that means that everyone needs to be part of the solution when it comes to fraud. 
and uh, we think that the best way to combat fraud is the industry coming together, creating multi-layers of safeguards. Um, so we see financial institutions as, as that first line of defense, and then uh, FedNow taking a proactive approach here um, and offering uh, complementary and value-added services to financial institutions so that they can have all the data that they need to decide whether they are going to make a payment or not. Well, that's great. It's been lovely uh, chatting to you. But for now, Bernadette uh, Kosepka, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much. Okay, I'm here with Ryan James, CEO of Surety Bank. Nice to see you here. Yeah, pleasure being here. Thank you for inviting me. Now, you spoke on a panel yesterday about banking for the cannabis industry. How did you come to be involved with cannabis businesses at Surety? You know, Surety Bank, we've been banking money service businesses for 20 years. And uh, money service businesses carry a lot of regulation. And so we've got a big compliance department at Surety Bank. And as the need in Florida, uh, when cannabis became medically uh, passed medically, there was a big need. And the banks that had um, compliance, you know, we were at the forefront. So we were able to integrate it right into our systems. We knew the cash business, cash logistics for our money service businesses and cash going out. So this is the complete opposite, cash coming in. So not only did we have the infrastructure for the cash logistics, we also have built the BSA team. So we were able to handle everything. And we were able to parlay because there was very little to no um, updates or industry guidance on how to bank cannabis. The, all you had was the coal memo. So we were able to sunbird everything from our crypto relationships and our money service businesses program and parlay that over on cannabis. So it was just a, a natural progression. Well, tell me a bit more about that and what are the challenges that come with banking for those kind of sectors, crypto you mentioned and the cannabis industry? Cannabis is um, actually not, it's pretty, the examiners over the years now, less and less. They want to make sure that you know the customer when they're growing. Was it because they added new retail locations and that you're vetting and looking at their compliance. The uh, crypto, of course, for everything happening earlier this year, the regulators want to make sure that, first of all, are you custodian? Do you have any exposure to the volatility of that? And then they want to look at, well, do you have any FBO accounts? You know, what's the weighted of your deposits? And really, if you've got your compliance down, then it's concentration risk is that what they're really doing. So it just goes back to the same prudent traditional banking. That's it. Um, go back to the start of the process then. How do you approach things like customer onboarding and KYC at Surety? You know, for us, we're, we're a bespoke bank. A lot of it is word of mouth. So we've already got an introduction to somebody within the industry that's already a customer. That's the best. That warm introduction already leads a little bit of the fraud. We get called a lot. And a lot of payments companies want to come and they've got the, the, the newest thing that we're going to do it this way. And, you know, we've got the, the best thing, especially the payments for the cannabis. They all want to circumvent uh, the MasterCard and the Visa and, and, the, and you're not going to circumvent. So first of all, it's getting through that. We background check the principal owners, the beneficiaries and go through a full application process. Um, we're looking at tax returns. Does it make sense? And really vetting on the back end before we even onboard. We know who they are, the money they put at stake in that business. So, I mean, that's the way we've, we've got to do it because, you know, with emerging industries, there's always the, the uh, nefarious people that prey on that industry. And especially cannabis or crypto where there's not as much banking. There's a lot of uh, third parties that say they do compliance and they want to 
connect you to a bank and really they, they don't do any compliance. They're just trying to pass it along and, and, and getting fees. And so there, there's a lot of background you have to do, but then it comes down to shop it yourself. Be your own secret shopper. Well, let me finish off then with, um, I mean, you talked about nefarious uh, people <laughs> out there. Let's look at fraudsters. I mean, what do you do to combat them? You know, we're, this is a hot topic at the show this year. Technologies like AI have just made it even more of a struggle, I would imagine. Would that be fair? Oh, absolutely. And that'll only continue on. And what kind of strategies do you have in place to, to combat them? So, in the first one, since we're banking the businesses that typically bank the consumers, so we're one step removed, it's really making sure that we partner with people that they, they understand that, you know, KYC in the beginning, a lot of fintechs just check that first checkbox. They're okay, the IP address is from the area they say they live. But, you know, there, there's more to it after the fact of looking at that. You know, you know, fraudsters are smart. They'll open up accounts and they will just put in a little money and rest it for, they know that, oh, typical 30 days is where a bank lets down their guard. And so it's looking at what alerts do you have after that 30 days and then trigger. And especially for just consumer banking, you see a lot of fraud now happen through the bill pay. And so they'll set up that. So, you know, if your customer you've had and then suddenly they set up a bill pay, you know, you need to reach out. You need to contact them and have those alerts and just use that as, you know, hey, Graham, we, we noticed you've got a bill pay. Is there anything we can help you with it? And sometimes it's like, what, what are you talking about? I didn't know about bill pay. It sounds like a 24-7 job, to be honest. So I wish you it all is. the best with it, that. It really is. <laughs> and it's only going to get worse. So, I mean, the best thing that we try to do is, you know, uh, bank people that we know and trust and that have good controls going on. Sounds like the only way to do it. Ryan it James, is. thanks so much for joining me here today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Okay, I'm here with Dustin ID, CEO of Canpay. Nice to see you here, Dustin. Yeah, good to be here, thanks for having me. Why don't you just give us a brief introduction to Canpay, first of all. Okay. Uh, Canpay launched seven and a half years ago, and we've built the largest, longest standing cannabis payment network in, in the industry. And um, I actually spoke early today with uh, Ryan James, sure. who I know was on your panel session here at Money 2020 yesterday. Uh, it was talking about what it means to be banked as a cannabis industry. So what were some of the key points you made during that session? You know, I, I think it's important for everybody to know um, this is not an unbanked or a cash-only industry. Uh, and that's commonly uh, described uh, if you listen to the politics of it. Um, you know, I know why people are, are saying that, but it's not true. There are many, many institutions now that are banking the cannabis industry, and there are options like CanPay that are legitimately offering payment services. And was there kind of a consensus reached during that panel session? Do you all broadly agree? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we had compliant cannabis banking on there through Ryan. We had uh, compliant fintech through Safe Harbor and CanPay. So yeah, we're, we're all on the same line. Now, cannabis has been in the news a lot recently. Over the summer, there was the, the MasterCard story um, when they moved to ban certain cannabis purchases made through their platform, through their cards. What did you make of that? I mean, to me, it was a continuation of what they've said all along. Both Visa and MasterCard have been very vocal. Uh, it's essentially when they find out the way that people are working around their rules and regulations, they make an announcement or they start to shut down those services. So uh, that was a big shutdown. Uh, a couple of debit services went down at that time. Uh, debit or credit for crypto for, can for cannabis also went down at that time. And then we've seen some recent shutdowns of some major debit networks also. So uh, the industry has taken a, taken a hit in terms of debit card acceptance, but that's why we focused on the ACH network so that we never have to worry about shutdowns or instability. And do you see that continuing, those kind of shutdowns? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 
know, if you look at Canada, the day that it was federally legal, all the card brands were in. It wasn't even a big deal. And, and that's not where we're at. It's still federally legal, state legal, and the car brand, brands have been very uh, vocal that until it's federally legal, they're not getting involved. Yeah, well, that's a really good point you made. Moves on to my next question, because I'm just one, wondering about the challenges of working in an industry where it's illegal at federal level, legal in 23 states, is that right now? Uh, no, it's something like, I think that's the uh, adult use, but yeah. medical, medicinal marijuana is available in something like 40 states. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's fascinating. It's part of the reason I wanted to get in because I knew it would be really challenging. Um, there, every state is its own little fiefdom. Uh, even the businesses that operate have to run under different rules in, in different states. But we do have federal guidance provided by the Department of Treasury, FinCEN, that says, you know, if you do it this way, if you bank the industry this way, if you operate in this way, they're going to allow it to, to be banked. And so that's where the institutions that are banking the industry now are, are able to do it. It's how we're able to do it to make sure that all of our merchants are banking inside of a compliance program built around that federal guidance, even though it is still federally legal. Do you have to have, uh, how does it work, a different strategy for each state? I mean, you know, for us, it's not that complex because um, you know, our operators and our financial institutions have to ensure that the, the state rules are followed. Um, so as long as that's happening, we're able to work with those businesses. Uh, but we certainly run into the challenges of working with all the different entities in each individual state um, in those businesses that are multi-state operators. And, 20, 30 states themselves now. Um, you know, they have different entities that roll up to other entities, and so uh, the compliance on our on our end is a little bit more complex because of that. Now, keeping on the theme of challenges, what are the challenges for you in terms of things like customer onboarding and KYC? For us, it's all about getting that customer into the campaign network. Um, once they sign up, they can use campaign wherever it's accepted, so that one-time sign-up is the only real hurdle that we have. And so we've got you know, rewards programs built to help incentivize incentivize that, merchants are incentivizing that, but it has to be a really easy onboarding process. We have to be able to verify uh, the, the person, the identity, and the banking of that person and be able to onboard them near instantaneously. So that's that's the goal, that's a challenge, and that's something we've been able to build and, and refine over the last seven years. Just finish up by telling me, what does the future look like for Campay? What, what have you got coming up? Yeah, so we're going to continue to build out a rewards program, which has been really positive uh, in terms of adoption and, and usage. Um, we've got some other more traditional payment services that you would expect a business to have, gift cards, we launched e-commerce uh, so that people can prepay. Uh, so just it's more about bringing those, those uh, expected services to the cannabis industry where they haven't existed before. Well, we wish you all the best with that. Have a great Money 2020 and Dustin ID. Nice to meet you. Thank you. Nice to meet you. So I'm now joined by Ava Kelly, the uh, Chief Product Officer at Thread. Ava, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. How are you finding Money 2020 so far? What's been the kind of most interesting talking points that you've, you've heard and seen today? Well, Money 2020 is spectacular as usual. It's like bigger than life. I think when you get in here and start to walk around and see really how much innovation is going on around you. Um, so I think some of the key themes that I've seen is certainly a lot of focus on identity management uh, as, as you walk around and see the booths and, and where I think innovation is occurring. I think that's one of the key areas. Uh, fraud is another one that I think is very prevalent. And I'd say the other thing I, I've noticed as I've gone around and seen some of the speaking series is more women uh, you know, on the speakers side of things here just talking about their experience in, in FinTech. So that's nice and refreshing as well. Talk to us a little bit about Thread. 
Well, Thread is a global issuer processor. Uh, right now we issue in over 40 markets around the world and can really issue anywhere that Visa and MasterCard are in markets. And we're a next-gen processor, so we focus on things like digital first, being very modular as a platform, and really enabling our clients around speed to market. Um, and I think what we're most known for is really our, our, our history of excellent service. And what's the onboarding process like? Well, the onboarding process, I think, is one of the most critical stages for our clients. Um, it's really when they are generally in a product launch. And so, you know, speed to market is really speed to revenue. So we take that part of it very seriously in, in how we enable them. And it really starts for us with what we call the expectations package. And in that package, we walk them through everything that they'll need to know about implementation. So including best practices, what they need to think about in terms of their MVP for a product, um, you know, agreements that they need to have in place with third parties. So everything that they're going to need to think about as they move through that process. And then they're really supported by a full team, um, a senior implementation manager, and that includes things like language support. So we have a lot of clients in the APAC region now, so we have Mandarin speaking implementation managers. So you don't want language to be the thing that slows you down or creates issues you know, in terms of understanding your requirements. And then we really walk them through a phased approach of how they're going to go to market. So we have different stage gates that they'll go through, make sure we understand their requirements, um, how we work that into implementation, their customer journey, and then go through the testing and go live phases. Um, really with that focus on what's the right MVP to go with first, because again, it comes back to get to market quickly, get to your revenue quickly. You touched on this, as you said, sort of like some of the things that, that you've picked up on here at Money 2020, and that's fraud. It's one right. of the themes that we're, we're focusing on, um, you know, on, on the podcast this year. What, what measures do you have in place to combat fraud? Well, we take a really multi-tiered approach to fraud. Fraud is one of those things, the more layers that you can have in place, the better. And, you know, fraud's often referred to as a race against fraud, but I, I look at it more like a boxing match. Okay. <laughs> you know, fraudsters are always sort of one step ahead, or, and you've got to fight back, and it kind of goes back and forth all the time, right? So um, you got to be ready with the next punch, so to speak. And I think the things that we think about that are really important in the solution is, is thinking about it being in real time. It absolutely has to be real time. You have to be in auth, you know, looking at whether that's a fraudulent transaction or not. Having the cardholder participate in that process, so using two-way SMS messaging to confirm whether they actually made you know, that transaction or not. And then I think the third area is just around continuous learning, you know, using AI models to really um, continually improve and optimize your fraud rules and how you're making those decisions. Because again, it's just, it's a never ending, you know, boxing match. <laughs> yeah, I love that analogy. Where, where does the market need to go next then? Oh gosh, I think there's uh, multiple places that the market could go. I think there's a lot of focus on compliance and the need to get that right. I see actually more services popping up here around that. I also think, you know, in the commercial space, there's a lot of room left there in terms of taking cash out of the system. So we in payments always like to do that. And then I think money movement is another area where I see the world sort of getting more and more connected. If you think about P2P or A2A and really bringing those endpoints together so you can move money around the world more quickly. And then I think the other thing that's interesting about being here is, you know, fintechs have always played the role of pushing the innovation envelope, if you will. Um, but banks really bring scale to the equation. So I'd love to see you know, that tipping point with banks moving towards more next-gen capabilities, thinking digital first, really around the purpose of improving the customer experience. Um, and if they do that, they bring you know that to the uh, customer experience sort of rises all boats and, and customers will benefit in the end. 
It'll probably create more competition for fintechs, but you know, at the end of the day, that'll probably create more innovation as well. So the, the cycle will keep going. <laughs> um, and let's finish off in terms of your continued international expansion. What's next for you guys? You know, we've taken um, a very you know measured approach to how we expand geographically, and we started in the UK and Europe. Um, we serve the majority of our clients there, but we've been expanding into the APAC region as well. And uh, we've been serving Canada for the last couple of years, and now what's next for us is the U.S. market. We'll actually be launching in the U.S. Um, in the first quarter of next year, so oh, we're great. super excited about that. Fantastic. Well, yeah. good luck with that, and uh, again, thanks so much, um, Ava Kelly, for joining us. Well, thank you. Okay, I'm here with Aaron Plant. He is VP Lending and Banking at Chime. Nice to see you, Aaron. Thanks for having me. Nice to be here. So tell us what's going on at Chime anyway at the moment. What's new with you guys? Our business is doing great. Like We've had a ton of um, customer growth this year. The, the industry's changed a lot. Chime, I think, we've been able to develop the scale and the products that have been able to continue to empower us to grow. So products like SpotMe, Free Overdraft Protection, products like Credit Builder, where you can not get into debt, you can raise your credit score. Those value props continue to resonate with our customer base. You know, we've, we launched them a few years back and we've been able to iterate on those products, continue onboarding them in a way that has been able to really kind of continue to power our growth. And so for us, it's a lot you know, more of the same, continuing to leverage our scale. We're onboarding hundreds of thousands of customers on every month. We're continuing to focus on our growth, trying to become bigger and bigger, increase our market share in our, in our segment, keep delivering the right products and services for our customers. And as I said at the start, you're VP lending and banking. What would you say is your key one, two, or three priorities for the next 12 months? Continuing to establish the infrastructure and strengthen the infrastructure we have to grow. So a big part of my job is working with our bank partners. We, we're not, Chime is not a bank. We work with two different banks, Bancor and Stride, that are like you know FDIC insured accounts. We're regulated by the OCC and they're regulated by OCC and we're able to you know, have a, an infrastructure in place. All the boring stuff that customers don't want to care about, we have to worry about and make sure that we have a place where people can put their money it's safe, their information's protected, because it's your, it's your bank, right? It, the, the customers think of it as your bank. If you're worried about your money being there, and if you think back to March of this year, a bunch of banks had issues with that exact problem. Our customers, like anybody else, are worried about their money being safe and secure. So a big part of what I look at is making sure we have enough capacity, our partners, that they are able to grow and scale with us, because as we grow and grow, we're putting more and more deposits on our bank partners' balance sheets they need to continue to manage their assets and liabilities in the way that can support our growth. So for me, it's about empowering our partners, giving them information they need, working with them very closely, that they're able to sort of scale with us from like a financial perspective on their balance sheet, but also continuing to innovate with us. You know, our, our products are brought to market in, in concert with our bank partners. And so for us, it's important that our partners are like on board, they see the vision, they see the growth, they see the trajectory, and we're doing everything in a way that's you know, very regulator friendly. We're like right in the middle of the financial ecosystem. We're big, we understand that we get a lot of scrutiny, and so we want to make sure that everything we're doing follows like the, the right path. Well, let's look at a couple of specifics, if you don't mind, just dig slightly deeper into, into Chime. What does the customer onboarding process look like at Chime? Well, we'll start from the, to the top of the funnel. You know, a big part of our, a big part of our kind of top of funnel is like you know, digital advertising, a lot of like social media. Um, another big channel for us though is actually referrals. So our, we find a lot of our best customers um, are people who got referred by somebody else. So if you're on the platform, there's a good chance that you, that your buddies are, have a relatively similar financial profile as you, and so it's a great place for new customers. So how it often works is someone will like send, a, send their friend a referral link, which takes them into the app, you download the app, you put in like your name, your social, and all those sorts of things to sign up for the account. 
in the back end, of course, lots and lots of stuff's happening. Yeah. You know, we work with our own internal risk models that we've developed over time. You know, we have millions and millions of customers now, so you can train those models very well. We work with various vendors to provide, you know, KYC and identity solutions that, you know, like everybody else in this industry, you know, Chime's not special in this, that everyone in this industry is seeing lots and lots of you know, fraud attacks and fraud issues on anything, because there's always that balance between making the account extremely easy for good customers to sign up for and extremely hard for you know, potential fraudulent people to sign up for. And so you want to make sure we have that balance in place. So working with our internal models our, and our, our partners to have basically what feels instant and no one even knows it's happening, but in the background, of course, many things are. So from there, a customer will you know, get a proof of the account, they'll have the app, they'll have a bank account, we'll send out a debit card, and then within you know, a couple of days they have it, and then hopefully they're setting up direct deposit. And so from there, that's like really where the magic begins, like getting them to set up direct deposit, that's sort of the main focus of what we're trying to do in that whole experience, make it feel very easy, but also very safe and secure that they know, hey, this is a potential banking relationship I have, like I, this is not something that I'm willing to take many chances with. Well, let's finish up on something you were talking about there, fraud and you know, fraud prevention. I've been speaking to a lot of people here about the sophisticated nature of fraud nowadays with you know, obviously things like AI. How concerned are you about that chime and I guess what are you doing about it? At the end of the day, the way our relationship works with our partners is that if there's a financial loss because of fraudulent transaction or whatever happens, at the end of the day, we're on the hook for that. That's chime. And so when you have millions and millions of customers, even if it's 20 or $30, that adds up real fast. And so it's a huge, huge push for us. And also we want to make sure that we remain a, um, like, a, like a, a good part of the financial ecosystem where when we see things that are potential things that seem kind of fishy, we want to make sure we're flagging that. So back in the pandemic when there were unemployment issues, we want to make sure we're being a good partner for the various states that are trying to help good people by, not make, by making sure like for folks who are taking advantage of the system that there's not, um, there's not like an easy path anywhere we go. So a big part of what we do is um, you know, risk and fraud, we have probably 100, over 100 people on the team that focuses on managing that to make sure that we're playing by the rules, we're protecting our customers, you know, that, that there's not like ATO issues or things like that. So when our customers have their account there, that they know that Chime's got their back. If there's an issue with their account, they can call us up 24 seven and make sure that like, hey, that's not my transaction. And we say, oh, okay, great, like, let's issue a new card, let's make sure that you're not charged for that. Uh, it's a big part of what big part of what we do. It's a big part of our focus, and we have you know lots and lots of very smart people working with all the latest technologies to try to understand it even better. Yeah. Well, listen. Thanks for sharing all those insights with us today. It's great to hear what's going on at Chime, Aaron Plant. Thank you for your time. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks again to all our guests who took the time to chat with us on Instance Booth here at Money 2020 USA. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please do follow us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to contribute to the discussion, you can find us on LinkedIn and all the usual social channels. And finally, if you'd like to get in touch with us as well, uh, you can do that via the contact form on the website at csuitepodcast.com. But for now, from me, Russell Goldsmith and Graham Barrett, thanks for listening and goodbye. <laughs>